Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How are you, Joseph? I am so good. So good. How many so goods are you? Today, I'm feeling about seven of them. Seven so goods? Mm-hmm. Super. Yep, it's God's number, so I'm going with that. Doesn't he have a lot of numbers? Yeah, I think seven's pretty good, though. We'll get into it later. One's favorite ones, whatever. In a year or two. Okay. <laughs> this is the Will the One True God Please Stand Up episode part two, and we will be getting started with that right now. So say I have my random 90s video game console mm-hmm. sitting in my whatever, and I used to make that my god and do it all the time, and mm-hmm. and I just don't do that anymore. Sure. Does that mean there's still demons around my random video game console from the 90s sitting in my house? Yeah, no, I'm not going to say that. You know, because okay. like, in other words, you've repented, you've, or you, you know, we use the word repent, like we've turned away from that, right? Okay. We're not going the way of that video console, right? Okay. We're going the way of the one true God. Okay. Yeah. So do kids not do this all the time with every toy they get for Christmas for like two days and then they forget about it forever? Yeah, that's so a, is that a God for two days for them? Even uh, if they know about our one true God, because you told them? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. And, and here's why. Because kids, here's the beautiful thing about the Lord. We are held to the standard that we have, that we or that we know, right? Okay. And so for kids, and, I, and I've got kids, okay? And I've got young kids. And yeah, they get really obsessed over their new toy, whatever that new toy is. Mm. Whether it's for their birthday, whether it's for Christmas, whatever it may be. And they get really excited about that toy. And then, you know, like you said, and then over in a matter of time, and sometimes it's 24 hours, sometimes it's a little longer, they're not interested in it anymore. They're on to the next thing. And I think, but as kids, I think that's like the Lord, like, I don't want to become so legalistic about this that we're afraid to enjoy things. Okay. The Lord has given us the ability to enjoy his creation. And I think the Lord also knows that the way kids are wired, it's part of just their learning and their, you know, they're exploring things. And so new, new becomes like interesting and exciting. They're exploring it. They're trying to discover the ins and outs of it, or they're creating storylines with it, or they're using their imagination for play. That's the way kids are wired. And the Lord knows that. So he's not sitting over here like, ready to, to to just allow demons, you know, to invade the lives of our kids because of that. I think it'd be very different if you and I were to, you know, get a new, you know, get something new and or get handed a new toy or whatever. And then that becomes our world. Okay. We know better. Okay. We should know better. And I'm not saying we can't get excited about things. I'm not saying we can't enjoy things. I'm not saying we can't have fun with, you know, uh, the new you know piece of technology I got or whatever, but I also know that that's not my, like my worship, my adoration, my life is not going to that thing. When does this crossover happen where I'm treating something as a as a god, and then because I'm doing that, demons are coming around it? When do I stop giving whatever it is power or demon power and the demons start actually take over and and are doing more of the enticing than I'm actually doing 
to the thing myself? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Okay. Um, in C.S. Lewis's book on screw tape letters, he would say that the enemy, uh, the demons, would use any opportunity to try to draw us away. So I think we just have to be mindful of what we're doing. And when you mentioned the phrase, you know, crossing the line, you know, when does when is it not just about us going to that thing, but demons actually enticing us to it? Okay. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think it's a really good question, actually. And because, again, I think following the kind of the logic, the thought process behind Lewis's screw tape letters, you begin to see that there is this spiritual reality where demons are functioning and they're looking for any opportunity to draw us away. First Peter five refers to it as, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a lion and, and, you know, he's, he's, he's searching for whom he can devour referring to the enemy. So I think that this is why it's important that we have rhythms in our life that involve our time with the Lord, you know, on a, on a regular basis, personal time of the Lord, where we're reading scripture, where we're praying and we're meditating on his word, where we're worshiping through song, maybe. Um, and then we have the rhythm of being in community with other believers. We have the rhythm of being at church on Sunday mornings, or maybe you go on Saturday, whatever it may be. And you just have these rhythms. And I think the rhythms help us to not become so entangled in the pool of things that do want to draw us and pull us away. I mean, the, the world is a very enticing place in and of itself just because we have flesh. Just remove demons again from the equation. Like Just because I have flesh on me. In other words, when I, when I say that, what I mean is because I have a, because I am fallen as a human being in my nature, then I long, you know, for things. Things are tempting. Things are enticing. There's that natural pull to things, and I, I think that's why the author of Hebrews and Hebrews 10 says, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Like, do not forsake gathering together, huddling together with believers. Because he warns, because if you because if you do forsake that, you're you're more likely to fall into sin. And I think that that is really true. And so these rhythms in our life that we develop are kind of like those. Those, whether it's what we call the rhythms or the spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them, they become like a safeguard to us to ensure that our mind and our heart and our soul have moments and times of reflection upon the Lord and reflection upon what's going on in our own hearts and our own lives. And these rhythms, I believe, help us to, to navigate through the things that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I mean, so there are people out there that are, they're having to work crazy hours every week. And so, you know, from the outside looking in, you go, well, man, they've made their job their idler, you know? Well, the reality is they just got to, they, they have to work that much for whatever reason it may be. They've got to work this much. It doesn't mean they've made their work an idol, but hopefully in the midst of all of that work, again, there's these, you know, these, these sacred rhythms that are being developed that keep our hearts before the Lord and keep opportunities for us to be self-reflective of what's going on in our own lives and allow the word of God to, to stand over us and to speak to us and allow people, believers in Christ to do the same, to speak to our hearts, to speak to our lives. 
And I think these, again, create these, these rhythms, create these, the safeguard for us where we don't just completely fall in, you know, headlong into something. And now that thing has become everything I'm interested in and is, is consuming my life and my resources and my time and my energy and my emotion. And I think there's, yes, I, I don't know if that completely answers your question, but I hope it's getting close to it. I think so. In your personal pastor dealings with mm-hmm. Christian people, what have you seen in the way of people putting other things before God? Yeah, this can range on, on a pretty big spectrum, okay? So personally, one of the things that I have seen, maybe I, I use the word like self-image, and, and I think so much of that is because we've become a really image-based culture, you know, thanks social media for that, where we're always trying to portray our, you know, our image, mm-hmm. you know, or even organizations like what is our brand and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying it's bad to have a, you know, a branding for your organization. Sure. It's, you know, that's, that's actually good uh, to some degree. And then I'm not saying it's bad to, to actually want to care for yourself and that kind of thing. Sure. That's fine. But what I mean is when we become consumed with that. And so I remember one time being in a counseling session and, and my wife just saying to, 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 a, to a female we were counseling, you're, you're really getting close to worshiping self because you've become so caught in this trap of vanity of feeling like you've always got to be so put together. And, and, and I think now that's becoming... You know, that was becoming like her life was, I, I you know, I've got to make sure I exercise this time. I got to make sure I eat this type of food. I got to make sure that my hair is looking just right, just perfect. My makeup is just right. And just, and all that, you know, it's just like the constant concern of, you know, how is she being looked at and seen and what was her image? And now that's controlling and having so much of her heart. And I think those are kind of like the, the, the those little small things that can kind of creep in on us because I would encourage people to be healthy, eat healthy, exercise, right? But Mm -hmm. when those things become so massively consuming in our lives and our lives, like our daily patterns are now being built around that, that's, it would be concerning for me. And and obviously it depends on the situation, but concerning for me. And I do think it can kind of drift over into that area of now I'm worshiping a false god, even if that false god is, or I've made an, maybe put it this way, I've made an idol out of self, probably the way I phrase that. You know, I think another one would be individuals that just get caught up in actually worshiping like a, a sports team. Uh, I got to be careful saying that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> down here in the South, but uh, we love our football. But, you know, for real, I mean, it it's, it's a it's a it's a little crazy. I went to UGA, right? And I still go to to football games there. Going to a football game at UGA is pretty close to a spiritual experience. I mean, you go and you're with friends or you're with family and you gather together and there's this emotion and this hype and you're singing songs together and you know you're you're all gathered in it's like i'm having a sacred moment over here and you know the stadium and so i you know i know there's people man they 
like their whole lives are talking about you know creating rhythms. Their lives are are have become rhythmically based around sports and sporting events or a sports team. And I think we have to be careful even with things like that. And again, I love sports. You know, I'm from Georgia, so I, I, I follow the Atlanta Braves and I follow the Atlanta Falcons. They're terrible, but whatever. You know, I, I love the, you know, the University of Georgia Bulldogs. And and so I, I love sports. I love following sports. But I do think it can it can get a hold of you. And I do think there are people whose lives really are built around it. That's what they have decided to build their lives around. And when we do that, even if even if you are, you know, saying, "Well, I'm still a Christian," but your life would reflect, "Yeah, but you you are way more interested, consumed with sports than you are with the Lord." And again, I'm not just, I'm not trying to pick on you know sports teams or those that are fans of sports teams because Lord knows I sure am. But it's it's just having that balance in our lives again of those rhythms in our life where those. You know, the sport teams or the sporting events, it's not the only thing that I'm waking up and going to sleep, you know, uh, living and dying about, you know. Those are two hopefully relatable examples that we can see where it's not hard to fall into a trap of something that like being healthy and taking care of yourself can all of a sudden become all of a sudden uh, an idol of self or where following a sports team and that kind of thing can be fun and can be exciting, but all of a sudden becomes something more than that. And now I'm building my life around it. What are characteristics of this one true God that makes me know he is different than any of the demons talking to me through all these other false gods and stuff I accidentally or intentionally worship and turn into one. So we talk about the characteristics of God. All right, I'm gonna name I'm gonna name several here. Okay. So the first I would say is that God is holy. So the one God, Christian God, is holy. What I mean by holy is I mean that he is a transcendent being and there is no one like him. Okay, so he is a completely like set apart, transcendent being. There's no one like him. And he is eternal. No beginning, no end. Completely uncreated. And to me, that is, those two things alone are the largest differences between the Christian God and any other God. There's no one like the Christian God, one, but then number two, he, he is eternal. Never been created, never was formed, just no beginning, no end. He's omniscient. And so in other words, he knows all things, even all that's in the future, because he's not confined by time or by space. He's So therefore, because he's not confined by space, he's also omnipresent. So he can be everywhere at one time. He's omnipotent, uh, all-powerful. The, the creeds refer to him as almighty. And there is not one who is more powerful than he is. He's a creator, so the maker of heaven and earth, you know, the maker of all things um, that have been created, have been created by God. He is personal, so God actually wants to be in a relationship with his creation. And I think that's a huge difference, too. Like, he actually wants to be fully known even as he fully knows us. He's not like idols that 
cannot speak or cannot hear. He is a relational being. And I think we can miss that in all the theological or doctrinal talk, but he's, he is personal. He's relatable. He, he because he, or relate, like he wants to be in relationship with us. That's, that's his desire. Most other gods of other religions are not personal that want to be with you. And the, the covenant promise from God to his people through every covenant throughout scripture is that he is going to be with us. That's like his promise. The covenant promise is that, that he will be our God, that we will be his people, and that he will be with us, by be, that he will dwell with us. So this, so the Christian God is the God that wants to be with those who believe in him. Um, and he ultimately wants to be with all the creation because he created them, but he wants to be with his creation, with his people. So that's a massive difference between Christianity and other religions is the fact that God is personal. And then in his oneness... He has this amazing ability to hold all of his attributes together, never needing to suspend one to act on another. So he's always love, even when he's acting in justice. He is love. He is just. He is merciful. He is righteous. We could keep naming attributes. And he holds all of those together as one, never needing to suspend one to act on another. And that's unlike just about any other God you're going to come across in other religions. Because the Christian God is good. We, we use the word love a lot, but he, he's good. So he's not fickle. <laughs> you know, like the, like the gods of Greek mythology, for example. You know, they're, they're pretty fickle. God's not fickle, you know. And he's, and he's also not just indifferent toward his creation. Mm. You know, it's not like he's demanding that you interact with him before he'll interact with you. Okay. No, he's always interacting, involving himself in the affairs of his creation. And he's just. He is just. And sometimes I know justice can seem as if it's absent, but remember, his justice extends into eternity as well. You know, we all will have to have give an account for that which we do on earth mm-hmm. before him. So justice is not just given out while we breathe on earth. Mm-hmm. Justice is it, it given out in eternity as well. So yeah, so those are kind of the, the kind of the main, I guess, things that I would say are characteristics of God is that he is holy, he is eternal. He is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, that he is creator, that he is personal, that he is one and he's one in all of his attributes, that he is good and that he is just. Okay, and all of the demons from all the other gods and around all the other gods are all the complete opposite of all of these things? Yeah, they're not holy. Okay. They're not eternal. They don't know everything, so they're not omniscient. They are definitely not everywhere at one time, right? So they're not omnipresent. They're not all-powerful, so they're not omnipotent. They are not a creator. They are not personal. They are not holding all attributes together at one time. They are not good, and they are not just. So the exact opposite. Correct. All right, so do I have to, since 
I am Christian and believe in one God. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I believe in one Satan also? Yes. Does that matter for me being a Christian that I that I believe that Satan exists? And how do I not make him a god if I believe that he exists also? No, no, you you absolutely need to believe that he exists. Okay. Okay. Um, just because of the report of Scripture. Yeah, I believe that you absolutely need to believe in Satan. There is an enemy that is that is spoken of throughout Scripture. So from Genesis through Revelation, we see that there is this enemy that, again, as I mentioned earlier, is basically living for the purpose of drawing people away from God. Okay. So I think you absolutely need to know that there's an enemy. If you don't know that there's an enemy, then I think you will live life blind mm-hmm. to the fact that there really is one trying to pull you away. I think we need to know that there is a that that we are in a war, if you want to put it that way, okay. for for our souls, and that you know there is there's a Creator God who longingly desires for us to know Him and belong to Him, and then there is a created being, which is the distinction between the two. You know, I mean that's just one of the many distinctions, but one of the distinctions is that He is a created being. He's not all powerful, all knowing, or present at all places at one time. Okay, okay. he's a so he's a singular being. He's not good. He is not just. But yet he wages a war against humanity, attempting again to pull us away from God. And so I do think we need to be aware of this Satan. And I think it's not hard to be honest with you to keep him from becoming a god. Okay. Because you just realize there's nothing that is like God in him. Okay. okay? In this in, in this in this in this being, I, I use the word him, but in this whatever this being is, right? This enemy is nothing like the creator God we we speak of, the one true God okay. that we speak of. And so I for me it's not difficult to go, no, he's nothing like God. So therefore I'm not gonna fall into the trap of worshiping him or those kind of things um have i have i seen christians get a little too uh obsessed you know um you know you'll hear the phrase it's a demon behind every bush um right you know some christians will be like no there's seven demons behind every bush you know and it's just like okay um and I, i think there's a sense of where you can become so kind of caught up in oh no the enemy's there the enemy's there you know He's probably getting more of your attention than than he deserves. But uh, at the same time, I don't want us to be unaware. Uh, scripture tells us to not be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. Okay. And I don't want to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy that are wanting to kill, still destroy me, and pull me away from God. So you said earlier that Zeus and Vishnu are not real things, and they're things that people made up that demons are now surrounding and entice people toward it to pull people away from God. Okay, so Satan is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And demons surround him to pull us toward him to get away from God. 
because there are people who worship. I mean, there are people who worship Satan as their that's, that's god. Correct. Yeah. So what makes since Satan is real mm-hmm. and Zeus and Vishnu aren't, mm-hmm. what makes Satan not a real god then? Okay. With out of this world powers like the one true one that we worship. Right. Because he doesn't have he doesn't have out of these world powers. He doesn't. No. He cannot create. Okay. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. He's you know cannot be in you know more than one place at one time. He can't. Mm-mm. Oh no. Well, where is he? I, I don't know where he is right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I think most people would say you know he's more than. I mean, so some people would take the Book of Job, okay, right, interpret it literally, and discuss the fact that it seems like Satan is in what's called a second heaven. You know, in other words. He's in a heavenly place where he's able to communicate with the one true God and accuse us. Okay, that's what Satanic accuser that and accuse us or or make excuse me make accusations of us okay. to God. One might be right to say, okay, he's located in the and I'll say in a heavenly place. I'll put it that way, and by that I'll, I don't mean where God is on the throne. Okay. Most often in Christianity, we talk about uh, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. First heaven kind of being like, okay, the the heavens, when we look up the sky, what, what do we see? You know, the stars fills the heavens, it says. You know, okay. second heaven being more of that space where you see demonic activity, angelic activity, and more than likely Satan's domain. And then so there's, first heaven is physical space. Correct. Second heaven is spiritual space on earth. Mm-hmm. Right. And then where this third heaven would be, kind of more often when we say heaven, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we have in mind, actually. It's okay. like this the idea of third heaven. And the reason Christians talk about that that's, that way is Paul describes it. Okay. An, an encounter that he had where he says he went up to the third heaven. And so, and, and was, and so this third heaven seems to be the place that we often refer to as heaven, where there's God, there's the throne, there's what we see in John's visions, you know, in Revelation, you know, chapter four, chapter five, God being on the throne, you know, and that's kind of that picture, that idea of that's where God is. So where Satan is, or the accuser is, is seems to be somewhere located in this second heaven space again where demonic activity angelic activity are happening and this is the spiritual realm if you want to put it that way so he could be watching us do this right now if he felt like being here at the time sure so if this one true god that we believe in who is very one and very true and very god Mm mm-hmm why have I never seen him or heard of him? And why do I have to sit on a podcast and have you tell me he's real or uh, just like, you know, find any way I can to reason myself to believing that there's a God all the time. And where is he? What's he doing? All right. So maybe you're right. You've never seen God, but if God is outside of space and outside of time, and he's spirit, okay? So he's not confined to a form like creation is, okay? So, because God is actually the creator. 
So maybe you've never seen him, but again, he's not like us in the sense of the way we are confined in our form of, you know, being created. But yet, I think when we look at the wonder of creation, and by that I mean both the beauty of creation and also the fine-tuning of creation, how everything simply works on a measurable scientific level, okay, or observable level, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's, it's, we see the fine-tuning of the world. And to me, I believe when we see the, both the beauty and the fine-tuning, we really can see the hand of a creator. Okay, maybe you've never seen him, but I think you've seen his work, if I'm putting it that way. Okay. Like for me, like when I look around and, and I th- or I explore and I think about the way that the world has been so fine-tuned to operate in the way that it does with, you know, laws of gravity or thermodynamics or whatever, right? It just, it's it's mind-boggling to me, even the way these cells work, okay? I, I think it's, it's amazing how fine-tuned this universe is and the and, and creation is. And so maybe I've never heard God, but I believe that like every single one of us has this longing inside that's crying out for something that is larger than ourselves to be part of something bigger, to be part of a bigger story, to have a purpose or a meaning in life that is you know, more grandiose than ourselves. And I believe that we see this in, in what the author of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3, when he says that eternity has actually been set in our hearts or in the core of our being. And there's this longing inside of us that all the temporal gains and temporal pleasures and knowledge simply cannot satisfy. Because it's longing for something eternal, and it's like we're always trying to fill it with temporal things. And it's like, but there's this thing in us that's going, but it's not enough. Like, it's, it's not enough. Like, I need a bigger purpose, or I need to be part of something bigger. I, I need a, a, a larger meaning in life, something. Like, we're all kind of, I feel like, reaching out, stretching out for it. And I think it's because this longing for eternity that's within us can only be filled by one who is eternal. And so one of the characteristics we said about God is that he is eternal. And therefore, only the eternal one can really satisfy this longing in us. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to when he says that everyone that comes to him will be satisfied and never thirst again. Because we've completely become, again, that longing in us becomes satisfied in Jesus. And I think that's where kind of peace begins to settle and hope begins to settle and joy begins to settle because it's like we finally have found what we've been longing for and looking for. So, I, I mean, I get where you're going with the question of, I've never seen him, I haven't heard him, but that really is the nature of believing in a God that is not confined by time and space that is eternal, 
that is a creator and not the created. And it's really the essence of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And I think that's what we're dealing with. Faith is this idea that we are, we are believing in something, we are hoping in something that we cannot see. There's no substance to grab onto it. But we also just know in the depth of our being that this God is real. Can you feel it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You can feel it. You can, I mean, you, we, we can feel his presence in, in, in our midst with us. But then I also think that in this knowing experience, we can use, we can also use reason and just begin to make deductions logically from just what we see around us and what we experience and, and what we know and what we can observe. And to me, the logical conclusion becomes there is a, at minimum, an intelligent designer. Someone's designed all of this. But because of the way this intelligent designer relates to humanity, that's kind of the distinction between just this being who maybe made or created the universe and kind of left it alone versus a being that has made and created the universe out of desire, out of a want to be with the creation that he has made and formed. And that's this personal eternal God, creative creator God that you know we're speaking of, the creeds speak of. First Peter chapter one, uh, verses eight and nine says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your soul. So even the early you know, apostles recognize you don't see him, but you do love him. And though you don't see him now, you're, you believe in him. And Jesus, is it, to me, it's just even more amazing. In John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, you know, blessed are you, Thomas, for you, you believe in me, but more blessed are those that never see me, that will never be able to touch me, but they believe in me. And so even Jesus is aware that, you know, after his ascension to be with the Father, you know, there's the death, the resurrection, the ascension. So after the ascension to be with the Father, even Jesus is aware that all of those that are coming after him, after this moment of ascension, are believing in him, not based on what they see or what they hear or what they can feel, you know, in terms of touch, but they're, it's, it is faith. It's just this faith that I know that this God is real. And again, I don't think it has to be faith without reason. It can be reasonable faith. And so I, I believe that, you know, I, I, I hear your question and I've heard others say the same thing. Well, if he's real, why don't he just show himself to me? But I, I really think if we're being honest, most of us can look around and see the way he actually has shown himself to us. And I know it's not in this like visitation of God to us, but it's it's in the way that he has worked and moved and done things at some point in our life where we go, that was God. You know, it, it may have been the first like, what is what is this? What's going on? But then you just know that's God. 
that that's the personal, eternal creator God interacting with humanity in that way. So when you were at Hindu temple and when you're at church here, like, do you feel, does it feel different? Like when you actually did that, like what, what did you feel? Full transparency. I, I felt this like sickness to my stomach, like the whole time I was there. I think it's, it was because of two things and they, they kind of connect together. Well, they have different food over yeah. there. <laughs> they do have different food, which is really good by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it was like this like oppressive feel like there's like this oppressive feel to it. Like, like these, like just, yeah, very oppressive. So this, there's this oppressive feel and this oppressive feel caused me to be heartbroken over the people that I saw there. Okay. And I think that's kind of what calls that, like that, that, you know, that not the, you know, the pit of your stomach, um, mm. because you realize the level of deception and you realize the level of these people truly wanting to have an encounter with God, truly want God, they truly need God, and and they're crying out to these Hindu gods, and you know that nothing in return is happening. It just, it, it just, it just, honestly, it just broke my heart. Is and nothing in return happening, or is bad things in return happening? Since they're crying out to demons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good way of phrasing. It. I think you'd probably say that what they're what's happening is they're finding themselves further, if you want to put it that way, further and further away from the one true God, because it almost creates this sense of well, if if this if my God or this God that I'm worshiping in this Hindu temple did not hear me this time, I'll come back the next day. Maybe he'll hear me this day. You know, like when you're trying to earn something from a God so he'll hear you, or you're trying to earn something from a God so that he'll do something for your family or whatever it may be, protect, provide. It's like you must create this cycle, you know, of having to go back and having, because you just, you're not getting, I don't think, what you actually want or need. And so it's just almost like probably level upon level of deception, you know, you're buying into. And, and so I think that's to me the my brokenheartedness in in observing it and watching it, because again you could tell people were genuinely wanting to have an encounter with God. They're genuinely wanting to worship who they believe to be God. Yet you know that their gods are not real. Their gods are going to do nothing for them, and that's to me that's just heartbreaking. So that was my experience there. In, in the Hindu temple. We were there for quite a while. It wasn't like we were just kind of you know in and out 15 minutes. We were there for a while. So what makes church different then? You know, it's interesting because the same crying out is kind of happening in a lot of ways um, between the people in a Hindu temple and the people in, a, in church. It's just that I know that in church, their prayers are actually being heard. And it's not on, I mean, it's the beauty of Christianity it's not on the basis of what I can do or what kind of sacrifice I can give or what money or food or any other form of sacrifice I can give to this God I'm trying to worship. It's actually about what, you know, in Christianity, it's about what God has done for me. You know, I'm able to come and be before God, not on the basis of what my works are, but because of what 
because of the fact that he shed his blood for me on the cross, right? And so it talks about in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus has created a, 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 um, a new and better way for us to be able to come and, uh, or a new and living way to be able to come and be in the presence of God. And again, it's not because of what I have done or not done, it's because of the blood of Jesus. And so when I need, you know, mercy and grace in my time of need is extended to me. Again, not on what I've done, but because of what he has already done on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of that, there's this divine exchange that happens in the midst of our worshiping God through song and our worshiping of God, the hearing of those scriptures, our worshiping of God through the hearing of the preacher interpret those scriptures, the worshiping of God through the sacraments, you know, through, through you know, communion, baptism. We, we know that as we we're worshiping through God, that God is actually hearing us and, and encountering us. And again, it's not just about you know, getting our needs met, right? We've talked about that in previous episodes, mm-hmm. but it's about this like, divine exchange between us and a living God, that there is this kind of uh, a reciprocal thing going on that's not based on my works, but it's based on a relationship with God. And I think, again, that's one of the beauties of, you know, we talk about God being a personal God. He's a relational God. And again, that's just so absent from almost every other religion in the world. Mm. It's this idea of this relational, personal God that actually cares mm. about what's going on in his creation. And so, you know, I for me, when I'm gathered together at, at a church, you know, on a Sunday morning, it's peace and it's joy and, you know, it's excitement to be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's also this simultaneous excitement and awe and wonder of being in the presence of a living God, you know, and that is the, the, the huge part of it. He is the living God. You know, he is not, he is not dead. He is living and he's living and he's interacting with his creation as the living God. So for me, that's just, I can only speak for myself. For me, that is, that's what church is like. You know, I'm in, I'm encountering this living God. Maybe here's way of phrasing it. In the Hindu temple, you could tell they were just hoping that their God would hear them and answer them. That they they were just hoping that their God would be there. Like when I'm in church and I'm worshiping, I know that God is listening and that God is there. I'm not just hoping He will be. I'm not wish or wishing He would be. Like I know that okay. He is there. Mm. And I think that's probably, the, to me, the, the absolute biggest difference between those two religions. And, and mo- you know, most Hindus would say they, 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 they hope their God would hear them. I have promises in the word that God does hear me mm-hmm. as, as his child, you know, as, as the Christian God. And so that's the, I think that's a, a beautiful part of it, too, is I'm not just hoping or wishing he would be there. My God is there. Well, this has been the When I Heard This Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Rumble. Um, we mentioned last week that we have started a Patreon. Sure. So, yeah, we started a Patreon, and there are three tiers to it. $5, $10, and $20. 
all money is going to just help us reach a broader audience. So all monies that come in aren't going to Nate or myself or anything like that right now. It's just all going out to try to expand the reach of this so that we can reach more people uh, for the purpose purpose of reaching more people. Yeah, so we, we already, you know, say thank you to all those who've already been listening to us, you know, for whether it's been for three weeks or since the very beginning. We just thank you all for already supporting us and encouraging us, the words we've gotten, the comments we've gotten. And so we already know this is touching lives, and we just want to see that extend out further. And so thank you ahead of time for for anyone, you know, who's willing to give to help you know, this podcast reach a broader audience. You can keep up with updates on the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at when I heard this podcast. Uh, you can follow me at Nate Robinsoff on Instagram and Facebook, and you can follow Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the when I heard this podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.